Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it was you for the first one we recorded, uh, me the second. I sort of paused. Although it doesn't matter. It's uh, fine. This is, I don't know, episode well, three taping for the day, but officially 142. Yep. It's a lot of episodes. There's been a lot of downloads. You know, we still get a lot of downloads from, like, Australia. That's because I have friends there now. Oh. Shout out to my friend who sent me pictures of her newborn Baby, the one that you heard about this, you know, who was on Spoxone and in Australia, they were still a little uncomfortable with it and calmed yeah. her down and not really calmed her down, just reassured her, I guess is the better phrase. And then they got pictures in the baby. Mm. So that was special. So, so this you know is, who you are. Thank you. Yeah, this is a second Arts. of little rural, uh, rural opioid stuff from the American Farm Bureau Federation, which again, I'm a little stunned they're doing these kind of studies. I love this section. Um, you know, last week is a little bit of the background. This stuff is kind of my jam. It's like, what do people in rural America actually think about this whole thing? And it's living in rural America, not having grown up there, but live there now. And having been working, we've been working on this since basically... The end of 2014 is when the task force started. Yeah. I have my own perceptions of the perception of rural America. Yeah, it's um, so. it's interesting because, you know, I grew up in a town where you only had to dial five numbers in the phone number. Are you serious? I am serious. Five numbers. You only had to, you don't, like if it was. Like that's not even a thing the, in my lifetime. The last five numbers. Yeah. Well, actually, this is a true story. My father we're like, well, why do we want to move to this little town? And my dad said, well, get this. You only have to dial five numbers on the phone. Wow. And, and when then, you're doing rotary. Dial- yes. <laughs> rotary, it took a long time to dial seven. It was rotary. Was Especially like, when you messed up on like the eighth, the sixth digit. Ugh. I remember, so growing up in the cities, when the area code went from one area code in the Twin Cities to two to four very quickly in a matter of like two years. So to call the other, like from the St. Paul side, which is where I grew up on to the Minneapolis side, you had to dial a different area code. Mm. That, that was the shocker. Uh, Here's the shocker. So we had 10 digits we had to call. Uh, Here's the shocker is that all of a sudden in the newspaper, you know, when I was like 14, they put a thing in there and said, you're going to have to dial all seven numbers now. And, and people page. were people were irritated. Hmm. Yeah, I so. can still tell you my phone number growing up. So I can tell you mine. I loved it because if you looked at the seven digits, not two were the same number. That was the coolest thing to me. Huh. All right. Well, let's get to this, <laughs> and we'll quit talking about phones. But the rotary were cool. My grandpa had a rotary. I loved it. Except I'd always mess up. You know, as a kid, you mess up on like the fifth or sixth and you're just like angry. I have one still, remember. You've seen it in my... I have. In our studio. Oh my gosh. It's like a... (laughs) It's a dungeon. It's like a fire hazard of papers everywhere. (laughs) If you get trapped in there, you ain't coming out. So... Anyway, In 2017. So in rural Minnesota... Okay, so basically this whole question is, is... 
how do people believe that someone can accidentally or unintentionally get quote unquote addicted to opioids? So this is the whole choice. It's a choice question. Yes, this is a choice. So because often people say, well, they made a bad decision. They just keep making bad decisions. Yes. So this went from 71% of people in 2017 felt that people could accidentally become addicted, which I think is very high. 2017 in rural where we grew up, where we live, there's not a chance 71% of people would have said that this was anything but a choice. Up to 78% in 2022. Wow. That's pretty crazy. But if you look at that last little part on the bottom, opioid abuse, this is not our verbiage, is something to be ashamed of or embarrassed by. That went from 23% of people agreed with that statement in 2017 down to only 14% agreed with that in 2022. Yeah, but still, if you think about it, today, one in eight people still think if you end up with an opioid use disorder, you should be embarrassed. I mean, to me, that's, that's pretty rough. Blasphemy. Yeah, I mean, that just shouldn't be the way it is. Well, I mean, about one in eight people also think that you can't recover from it. Well, that's true. All right. Anyway, so... Next. The next question has to do with how easy it is for someone to access treatment, right? No, a lot... Wait. No, no, no. Abuse of... <laughs> opioid abuse refers to the abuse of powerful pain-killing drugs, including prescription opioids and heroin. How easy would it be for someone in your community... Oh, to access a large quantity. A prescription So how easy opioids. is it to get prescription opioids or painkillers... So basically diverted ones. So anything but from a doctor. Right. And how, or is this? No, but this could be from a doctor. It oh. says access a large amount of prescription opioids or painkillers without, without actually needing, needing them. them. So faking something to get Faking pain meds. something or getting them from somebody else. And amazingly, almost half the people in 2017 said, it's pretty dang easy to get those pills. Yeah, but that only dropped from... <laughs> Down to 40%. Yeah. So still 40% of people believe it's pretty easy that's, for you to get those pain meds. That's a problem. Um, and, it's, and, and here's the thing, and we have talked about this many times, Heather. Uh, this particular group, if they are trying to access pills, they talk to each other and they know who's going to prescribe pills. They do know who's going to prescribe pills. We and hear that all the time. There's, yes, <laughs> It's not every every provider, and I think this is where the whole legacy patient thing is highest risk if you're talking about diverted ones, not even from getting them from the easier provider, but yeah. the people who are having getting them that don't actually need them are more likely to sell them. Yes. Okay, so which age groups find it the easiest? Or believe it's the easiest. Believe e it's the easiest. Yep. So 55% of adults ages 18 to 34 believe it's quite easy to obtain a large quantity. Wow. But what I find interesting is a third of adults ages 65 and up also find it easy. A third. Wow. A third of people <clears throat> in Medicare age. And, um, and <clears throat> excuse me, but I, I do think it, um, again, a lot of people have you know, have that knowledge of who is going to prescribe them. Mm -hmm. And I think we always have to think about that. Actually, I had a patient say this to me who came to this clinic and said, I moved to such and such a town 
And I got started on pain meds right away. And I said, well, how'd you know who to go to see? And she went to some uh, um, message board thing and saw the names of the doctors who prescribed the most. Oh, then, around in this area? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. I could name it, but I won't. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's, <laughs> I know the message board. <laughs> yeah. So they go to a message board and it says, here's where you go if you, if you need pain meds. So. Okay. So now we're going to be talking about back to stigma and shame. Uh-huh. So what person, like where is stigma and shame associated in the community? Where do people see it? So 47% of people say that there is shame and stigma in their local community. So most people feel, half of the people roughly say that there's a lot of shame and stigma associated with opioid use disorder in their community. Mm. It's interesting, though, that then if you drop back to families. Still a third. Still a third. Yet, what percentage of people were comfortable talking with their family about it? Not so many. From the last topic. No. uh, Okay, if we're talking about comparing 2022 to 2017, um, this is the whole disease question. Yeah. Which of the fo- basically it says which of the following comes closest to your view, even if neither is exactly correct. So if we're looking at addiction to opioids as a disease, forty six percent of people in twenty seventeen felt that addiction is a disease. So opioid use disorder is a disease. Mm-hmm. That did go up eleven percent, fifty seven percent, which is Good. I think that's, uh, I'm actually surprised by that number. Slightly more than half agree that it's a disease. That is progress. But the reality is that you have a lot of people who just don't know, but you still have one in five people who say, it's a choice. It's a willpower problem. It's a self-control problem. Here's the thing about that. And I hear that all the time. So do you. Is that one in five are the loudest? Yes, uh, they say more things to people. Yes. Uh, and they can be, in, in, my, in my experience, they can be in any job, whether it's healthcare, legal, law. I mean, they can be anybody um, because uh, there are people who are believing that it is a choice. So this, ne- interest, this next one is interesting. So this is people in their rural community if they feel that there is more opioid use in their local rural community compared to the country. Hmm. So this is harder. But basically, from one in five to one in four, people think that there's more in their local community than in the country. That's interesting. So more people now than in 2017. Believe that in there's... In Minnesota. Which... Is good. That means there's more awareness that there is an opioid use disorder issue or an opioid crisis in their community. Because think about that. That means at least one more person agrees that this is a problem in our community. Well, and a third of people had no idea, you know, could be the same. But do you remember when we went to that one community and <laughs> what was it? Like a sheriff or a, the law enforcement dude yeah. said, we don't have heroin here. And he stood in his arms or crossed. I was like, <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah. And oh. then the ambulance person said, uh, no, uh, yeah. we see it all the time. Right. And so this is people in their rural communities understanding that this actually is a tr- problem. What, heroin? I still remember the so day I heard that word for the, the next, first time in clinic. Yeah, the next question was, which of the following comes closest to your view, even Where if neither you? is exactly right? No, you already did this. Oh, no. You just repeated. 
You're right. I flipped it around. Yeah, we're on this beautiful one right oh, there. Oh, gosh. I, I feel <laughs> exposed. Basically, this one is, do you feel that people are more or less aware of the opioid crisis in their community? In rural Minnesota? In rural Minnesota. So it's gone up. 60% has gone up more. People are more aware than they were back in five years ago. So... I would say that's true. That's I, mean, I, way I think true. we see that where we go. Everybody seems to know about it. I, I think I think that's great. Actually, everybody. I had my. I actually called my my parents last night, and my mom says, "Have you heard about fentanyl?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Devine. I'm laughing at you. She goes, "They were telling me that there's fentanyl. That fentanyl is a big thing now. Is that? Have you're you ever like, seen that? You're like, mom." <laughs> I do said, you know what I do for a living? I said, Mom, uh, we have seen nothing but fentanyl for almost a year and a half. And she's like, oh, uh, are you serious? I'm like, yes, Mom. I can't, uh, you can't lie to your mom. I was like, Mom, but yeah, legit. she asked me. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That is the greatest. I love that. that okay, but fun. this, I don't know, this next question, I kind of feel like we should maybe leave this one for last. Can we leave this one for last? Sure. I just, it's... It's perfect to leave to last. So the next one is a little thing about rural adults. Are they more likely now than in 2017 to seek treatment or find social workers as part of the solution? So basically, it's actually gone up. Do you see the following more as part of the problem or the solution, right? Yeah. So this is just a bizarre question. It is kind of a bizarre question. So churches are about the same. I mean, really not much has changed in this in terms of awareness of something being part of the problem or part of the solution. Yeah. Which, whatever. I mean, I, it's right. interesting that, um, you know, when you look at these, more of part of the solution, I mean, more people think that treatment centers and social workers are part of the solution by six percentage points than earlier, but that's not a huge number, really. No, but yet... They're also still part of the problem. Like churches and faith-based organization, 14% of people in 2017 and 2022 felt that churches and faith-based were equal parts part of the problem and part of the solution. I don't really know how they'd be I part of the problem. but I mean, is are we talking Kool-Aid or what? I don't know. Okay. That's a hard one. Okay, maybe we can go back to that other one. That one. Let's do this. Let's do this one first, and then this one before we switch to the solution. So, this one. This one first. Of the factors tested, rural adults are more likely to think counterfeiters, illegal black market sellers, and pill mills and doctor shopping contribute a great deal to the opioid crisis. Uh, and uh, yeah, and people are more aware of that now than they were by about seven percentage points. But interestingly, another one that went up a bit was the people having lack of education. Well, that's interesting. Lack of education among patients about the appropriate use of opioids contributes. So people are aware that some people are just not as aware of the problem, which Mm. I think is very intuitive, actually. If someone says, well, maybe they got addicted because they weren't aware of the risks. So it's kind of putting a little bit of that education spin on it, which I think is a very interesting question that they asked. Well, and I think that, you know, the lack of education among patients and, you know, an appropriate use is a doctor and provider problem, right? 
I mean, if we really had the conversations we're well, supposed to. This is a good bridge into the final. Yes, it is. I don't know. I just love this question. When it comes to the opioid crisis at present, let's see. Who created more of the problem? We're, who created the problem? I love that Big Pharma is taking the biggest chunk of the responsibility. 56% of people who answered this question said Big, the pharmaceutical interest, industry is to blame. That's because of Netflix and all those things where they can watch those movies. But they're not wrong. They're just they're dramatic. Wrong, people I, keep saying, well, have you watched Dope Sick? Have you watched The Pharmacist? Have you watched Dope? I'm like, I lived this. <laughs> yeah, we like, were. Do you know the first two episodes of Dope Sick is literally the first presentation we ever gave? Dang near verbatim. Really? Yeah. I've watched the first episode. I'm like, you just wasted an hour, which I did in Atlanta once. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You know, it's interesting, though, because... A lot of people, you know, and it's probably more than a third blame government and lawmakers. Okay, but 50% blame doctors. Yep. Well, and I do think doctors bear the, bear the brunt of some of that. But yet, look, Not all churches doctors. and faith-based organizations make up actually more than 50%. Yeah, I don't get that. Oh, no, wait, I lied. That's more part of the solution. My bad. Yeah. The more, blue line. Yep. Anyway. Wow. Well, and people do think that doctors, well, actually doctors, 26% felt they were part of the problem, uh, 24% problem. the solution and some of each. Yep. Okay, I read that a so little bold. bit wrong. But they felt that law enforcement was actually a bigger part of the solution than the problem. But is that the people who think they should arrest their way out of it? Yeah, I do think that I is. agree. Yep. So, yeah, it's really interesting, I think, when we look at just how rural people kind of feel or how they feel about some of the opioid issues and, and addiction. Um, I, I do think it's a little bit different than the metro. Uh, we don't have metro data, but I do think it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly in our small communities that we deal with, we hear this stuff. Do you want to just tag the solutions on to the end of this one? We have just, I mean, I know we're already at 18 minutes, but basically this is what do people in rural America think about how we're going, like, what are the solutions here? Um, So basically half of rural adults say they have not seen, read, or heard much of anything about resources in their community, which is sad. That means half of people have not heard about resources. So even if they wanted to get help, they have no idea where to go. Well, my mom just heard about fentanyl. Exactly. So, And she probably still gets the local paper. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. I'm not throwing you under the bus, mom. Although, did you notice our local paper is having a three-part series on the <laughs> opioid crisis? And I wasn't even called, nor were you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to say anything. You shouldn't have. Um, you well, know, it's, uh, it's just it's, one it's of Actually, things. I read both the articles. We've had part two just came out this weekend, which will be now done by the time this airs. It was very well done. It was. I liked it. I just wish I would have been called because I, I like to have an opinion. I just think having lay people talk about drugs is probably, or how they work or where they came from is probably, could be done better. Right. So people, what they thought would be the most effective thing to help solve the opioid crisis would be in- increasing access to treatment programs and mental health care. I couldn't couldn't agree couldn't with agree that more. more. Um, yeah, that's and that actually increased just a hair from 20. 17, but other way, just increasing access, increasing access. Um, Okay. Consistent with 2017, so not really any change. Rural adults say the messages that people can recover from opioid 
abuse, use disorder, and families need to be able to openly discuss addiction in order to get help would be effective in decreasing shame. So basically, people should be comfortable talking about this as a disease, and they'd be much more likely to recover. Yep, I so agree with that as well. That mentality hasn't changed over time, though. Nope. Which is very also interesting to me. So. So thank you, Farm Bureau. Thank you, Farm Bureau and Ruth for bringing this to us and, you know, just really emphasizing kind of what we all saw, but what was minimized, I think, in the opioid crisis is that everyone kind of thought this was an inner city thing, which just to remind people, speaking of your mom and fentanyl, um, fentanyl hit rural Minnesota before it hit the Twin Cities. Seemingly, because we were seeing it and our friends were not. Anecdotally, yes. Anecdotally. So, all right. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with some topic we have yet to decide on. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media. And produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman. And, of course, the music is by Battle Legs on Spotify. To reach out to us for any type of information or questions, please email us at the addiction connection podcast at gmail.com sun is rising high burning into the day i will say goodbye i'll be going away brush away my doubts what tomorrow will hold feeling fine for now going down the road to a city to sing about the trees and the wind the hills in the spring and the rivers that bend the rocky deep pass and the poppies and ponies running through the grass up and down the road They paid for the stories they're told of a clear new day, only down the road. So heavy rain at my back, lazy meadows ahead. In my book, I keep track of the promises set for my songs in a town.
for now. <laughs>